0: back to the Hemingway List Podcast of Excellence to talk about Book Two, Chapter Nine. What are your impressions of Prince Andre's interaction with the wounded men from the battle? He gives them gold and words of encouragement, sort of. I'm not sure how encouraging hurry up and get back out there would sound to the pale bandaged and wounded, but brushes off the officer who tries to strike up a conversation with him. How does this scene add to your knowledge of Andre as a character? Did he brush off someone? I know that he didn't exactly elaborate when the guy asked for news, and he just said, "You know, good news." But I guess that's all he was permitted to say. Um, is that what? Is that the bit that that question's referring to? I also thought that his words of encouragement were probably the perfect words of encouragement because someone who's battered, you know, pale and bandaged and duty, duty, <laughs> dirty, <laughs> duty. Pale and bandaged and dirty would, um, you know, when you feel like that, someone treating you like, you know, back on your feet, get back out there, like treating you as if you're capable of getting back out on a field actually does empower you a bit, I think. It it kind of puts a stop to any feeling sorry for yourself, you know. Um, When someone else believes in you, you can't sort of help but sort of start to think, oh, maybe I am. You know, not far off from being better. After Andre speaks to the minister, it says he felt as though all the interest and happiness afforded him by the victory had now left him and been given over into the indifferent hands of the minister of the war and the courteous adjutant. What is behind this statement? Do you think he agrees with the minister's assessment of the battle as a misfortune? Warren Kavofifi said Andre seems to be going through a bit of an endorphin high after the victory over the French. He believes he will be well-received and shown to the Emperor at once upon his arrival in Brunn, so I think he's feeling extra charitable and good-spirited. So why not give some gold to these less fortunate soldiers? I felt like him not giving news to the officer was a way for Andrei to not spoil his war story later with the Austrian military command. You know that sound that a record makes when it is ripped off the turntable? That's the sound I imagined when Andre arrives at the palace in Brunn. Rather than receive the hero's welcome he imagined, Andre gets escorted to the back rooms to deliver news of his victory to the Minister of War, who is more preoccupied with paperwork than actually receiving Andre. And when he discusses the battle, the Austrian reception isn't as excited as Andre would have guessed due to General Schmidt getting killed. Andre definitely does not view the battle as a misfortune like the Minister of War, so I think this lukewarm reception is an early lesson to Andre that no matter how heroic he might be, it's likely not; it will not get him the recognition or glory he's been seeking by joining the war. No pants time, no pants time at all, he said this, I feel like Andre wants to be seen or to be able to think of himself as a good leader, kind and generous, and the words of encouragement and gold pieces are easy things he can do to play into this personal myth, but he doesn't actually want take the time to converse with the officer seems like it's all about appearances with him i think he was just i think he was just on his route right like he was trying to get there as quick as possible he stops and pokes his head in with the wounded and speaks for a moment but it has to keep moving by that was all i thought of that I i didn't even see him as really brushing anyone off Um, Brian E Denton said, I never considered your first point before, but it makes sense. I always read Andre here as being generous simply because he's in a good mood. It's definitely a possibility that he's only trying to write himself as a heroic leader rather than just be one. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, there is a degree of that with Andre, isn't there? He is seeking military glory, but he's also seeking it to sort of prove his worth as a man. And I think there is some genuineness in that. So when he's doing these kind deeds i think it's coming from a place of wanting to be that person who does that kind of thing and whether or not it's contrived or natural it's still an expression of wanting to do it you know what i mean i don't know if that makes sense twisted every way says the impression i got when reading was that andre didn't want to spoil the news to the officer who was asking yeah well i don't think he would have been allowed to you know, he's got a message to take to the Minister of War as an adjutant. And, you know, you're not going to spill someone else's mail on the way as a mailman. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, you're the messenger. You don't get to just tell the message to everyone you cross. So I think, I think that that was just a, a technicality. He wasn't permitted to tell them the news. But he told them that it's good news. Uh, and that was the most he could do. Uh, thought he was setting them up for a great surprise when they finally get the news. Boy, they finally get one victory, and suddenly Andre is like the tooth fairy, handing out money here and there. I just think he was exuberant at the victory and feeling generous. And then he was let down at the minister of war's reaction. Womp womp. Sluggy with three Gs said this. I think there was a huge difference in perspective in perspective between Andre and the Austrian minister. Andre is new to war. And after being continually harried by the French troops, it had to feel like a major victory to finally stand their ground and beat them back a little. Indeed, it's not just him that is is in—that is the general feeling among the troops. He is definitely riding off that high of victory as he travels to deliver the news and feels like everyone else should share in that feeling of victory. From the minister's perspective, though, that main bulk of the Austrian army has already been defeated, the government, has been forced to move to Brun because Vienna is threatened and the remaining Russian and Austrian troops are severely outnumbered while news of the victory is welcomed ultimately it doesn't really change the situation they are in and they lost another of their generals during this battle. Yep. Oh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah I mean it's the difference between seeing what's happening in your little world on the ground, you know, the immediate victory that Andre was part of was actually probably quite a small battle and a small victory to someone who's looking at the whole situation from a from a broader perspective like the Minister of War. Alright, let's keep reading. Chapter ten goes like this. Prince Andre stayed at Perun with Bilibin, a Russian buddy of his in the diplomatic service. Ah, Prince, my friend, I could not have a more welcome visitor, said Bilibin, Bilibin as he came out to meet Prince Andre. France, chuck Prince Andre's stuff in my bedroom, said he to the servant who was ushering Bolkonski in. So, you're the bearer of good news, hey, Awesome, and I'm sitting here crook as a dog, as you see. Once he was washed and dressed, Prince Andrei headed to the diplomat's luxurious study and sat down to the dinner they'd prepared for him. Bilbin made himself comfy by the fire. This was the kind of posh setting Prince Andrei was used to since birth, and being amongst posh stuff was helping him relax after a long journey and a rough campaign. Besides, after dealing with those Austrian pricks, it was nice to shoot the shit with a fellow Russian, though they did it in French, not their native tongue. Who would most likely share the general russian dislike of the austrians which was a bit of a thing currently bilibin was a 35 year old bachelor from the same circle as prince Andrei. they'd known each other back home in petersburg but had gotten closer since prince Andrei was in vienna with kutuzov bilibin was kind of a similar to Andrei career wise in that he was a mover and a shaker in his chosen profession that is to say he was a rising star in the diplomatic space, as André was in the military. He was still a young man, kinder, but he wasn't a young diplomat, for he had entered the service at 16, had been in Paris and Copenhagen, and now had a pretty important post in Vienna. Both the Foreign Minister and our Ambassador in Vienna knew him and thought highly of him. He wasn't one of those useless French-speaking diplomats, and there were plenty of these, who were well-known for all the shit they didn't do. He was more the kind who actually liked his job, and was good at it, and who, despite being a little bit lazy, would still often sit at his writing desk for a whole night getting shit done. He kept plugging away, no matter if the job was small or big, important or trivial. It wasn't the question of why should we that motivated him, but more of how can we get it done. He didn't particularly mind what diplomatic issue he was assigned to, he just loved tackling it, as skillfully. as elegantly and pointedly as he could preparing really bloody awesome circulars memorandums and reports and it wasn't just his written work that was valued he was also great at conversing and dealing with people even in the highest spheres Bilibin liked conversation just as he liked work only when he could be, only when it could be done with a little wit and pizzazz in society, he was the kind to only join a conversation if a chance to say something striking presented itself, and if it didn't, he didn't. When he got stuck into a good convo, he peppered it with preconsidered phrases, original witticisms that flowed in the general direction of the convo. The phrase laboratory in his brain carefully constructed those phrases to be so palatable that insignificant society people would easily ingest them and regurgitate them all over every drawing room they visited, and in fact, Billabin's little trademark phrases were repeated in Viennese drawing rooms, often during conversations about important matters. His face was worn and thin, covered with heavy wrinkles, and always looked as clean as the tips of one's fingers after a Russian bath, The movement of these wrinkles was basically how his facial expressions formed. His eyebrows would lift and his forehead would crinkle up. Then his eyebrows would lower and the crinkles would move to his cheeks. His small deep eyes always twinkled and looked confidently wherever they were looking. All right then, tell me what you've been up to, said he. Bolkonski told him about the battle and the reception he'd received by the Minister of War, speaking really modestly and without mentioning himself. They made me feel about as welcome as a dog in a game of bowls. Billiban smiled and the wrinkles of his face smoothed out. But my dear friend, he said, examining his nails from a distance and raising the skin above his left eye with all due respect to the Orthodox oh, with all due respect to the Orthodox Russian army, it sounds like your victory wasn't all that victorious. He went on speaking in this way in French, only switching to Russian for certain words that he wanted to be a little bitchier. Really, though, you with all your forces stumble upon little old Mortier with just one division, and even then he slips through your fingers. That's hardly a victory. Seriously, though, said Prince André, we can at least admit, and I don't think this is bragging, but we did a better job than those guys at Ulm. Couldn't you have captured at least one marshal for us? Not everything happens to plan. It's not like going on parade. I told you we were expecting to reach their rear by seven in the morning, but still hadn't reached it by five in the Arvo. And why did you? Why didn't you do it at seven in the morning? You should have been there at seven in the morning. Returned Billibin with a grin. You should have been there at seven. Yes, and you diplomats should have succeeded in convincing Bonaparte to leave Genoa alone. Reported, retorted Prince André in the same tone. I know what you're thinking interrupted Belebin you're thinking it's very easy for us to take marshals while sitting on a sofa by the fire you're not wrong but still it was your job to capture him so why didn't you so don't be surprised if the minister of war and his most august majesty the emperor of the king and the emperor and king francis are not overly rapt with your so-called victory i mean i'm just a lowly secretary for the russian embassy but even I don't feel the need to give my servant Franz a what? Oh, hang on, I need to go back a bit here. I'm going to reread the last sentence, because I just altered it slightly. Just don't be surprised if the Minister of War and his most august majesty, the Emperor and King Francis, are not overly wrapped with your so called victory. I mean, I'm just a lowly secretary of the Russian embassy, but even I don't feel the need to give my servant Franz a raise and a day off to take his sweetheart to the fair. Not that we have a fair here. He locked eyes with André, and his face softened. All right, now it's my turn to quiz you. Why, Monsieur, did Bolkonski... All right, now it's my turn to quiz you. Why, Monsieur, said Bolkonsky. I confess, I don't get it. Maybe there are some clever diplomatic subtleties at play here that my dumb ass can't see, but I don't get it. Mac loses his old army... And neither the Archduke Ferdinand or the Archduke Karl show any signs of life, and they make fuck-up after fuck-up. Kutuzov is the only one so far to actually win something against the French, and the mythical curse of Bonaparte's invincibility is suddenly shattered, and yet the Minister of War can't even be bothered hearing the details. Yeah, but that's just it, mate, you see. It's yay for you, the Tsar, the Russians and the Orthodox Greek faith. That's all fine and dandy, but... What do we, meaning the Austrian court, care about your victories? You need to bring us news of an Austrian victory by the Archduke Karl or Ferdinand. Any Archduke will do, you know, we're not fussy. And even if it's a win against a squadron of Bonaparte firemen, we'll still fire off the cannons in celebration. But honestly, it seems like you're doing this shit on purpose just to piss us off. The Archduke Karl does bugger all and the Archduke Ferdinand makes a dickhead of himself... You lot abandon Vienna, leave us for dead, as if to say God is with us, but God help you sorry bastards and your capital. And then you take the one general that we all loved, Schmidt, and stick him in front of a bullet. Then you congratulate us on the victory. Admit it, you couldn't have arrived with more frustrating news. It's as if you'd done it on purpose, on purpose. Besides, even if you did gain a brilliant victory, even if the Archduke Karl himself gained a victory, what good would it do... In the grand scheme of things. It's too late anyway. Vienna is already occupied by the French army. What? Occupied? Vienna occupied? Not just occupied, but Bonaparte is at Schönbrunn. And the Count, our dear Count Verbner, now goes to Bonaparte for orders. Schönbrunn? I'm going to add the word palace, just for context. Bonaparte is at Schönbrunn Palace, and the Count, our dear Count Verbner, is now now goes to Bonaparte for orders. Andre's poor little brain was frazzled from his long journey and unwelcomed reception, and now adding on top of that his post dinner food coma he was struggling to take in the full significance of what he was hearing. Count Lichtenfels was here this morning, Billabin continued, and he showed me a letter in which the parade of the French in Vienna was fully described. The whirlwind of Prince Murat, you see, your victory is not a cause for celebration, and you're not a hero. Uh, who gives a shit about that? Starting to understand now that his news of a little wind near Krems meant bugger all, considering Austria's capital had fallen. How was Vienna taken? What about the bridge, the famous bridgehead, and Prince Orsberg? We'd heard that Prince Orsberg was defending Vienna. He said, uh, "No, he's on the side of the ri- this side of the river now, defending us." doing a shit job of it too, I reckon, but still he's trying. But Vienna is on the other side. The bridge is still good, that hasn't been taken yet, and hopefully it won't be, because we've rigged it up, ready to blow if the order is given. If the bridge had been taken, we'd be long gone into the mountains of Bohemia, and you and your army would have spent a very ugly fifteen minutes between two fires. But still, that doesn't mean the campaign is over, said Prince Andre. Well, I reckon it is and the big wigs here think so too, although they don't have the guts to say it. It'll play out just as I predicted at the start of the campaign. The matter won't be settled by your skirmishes at Durenstein, or by any gunpowder at all. It'll be decided by the ones who invented the gunpowder to begin with, said Billibin, unleashing one of his famous phrases, then pausing and allowing his forehead to unwrinkle. The only question now is what will happen when Emperor Alexander meets the King of Prussia in Berlin. If Prussia joins the Allies, Austria's hand will be forced and there will be war. If not, then it's just a matter of figuring out where to start drawing up the new Campo Formio. What an absolute bloody genius, Prince Andrei suddenly exclaimed, thumping the table with his small hand, and what luck he has. Be a said Billabin, his forehead coiling up to unleash a witty comment. Be on a he repeated, trying to put some extra Italiano flair on the u. I think now that he's laying low, laying down. Sorry. I think now that he's laying down the laws for Austria at Schönbrunn. It might be time to drop the u. I'll be the first to call him simply Bonaparte. Jokes aside, said Prince Andre, Do you really think the campaign is over? Here's what I think. Legit. Austria has been made to look like a dickhead, and she's not used to that. She will retaliate. She looks like a dickhead because first, her provinces have been pillaged. They say the Holy Russian Army are shocking looters. Her army is destroyed, her capital taken, and all this for the fine eyes of his Sardinian majesty. And I'll tell you what else, just between you and me. I feel in my gut that they're pulling the wool over our eyes. My gut tells me they are secretly negotiating a secret peace with France. No way, cried Prince Andre. That would be too fucked. If we live long enough, we'll see for ourselves, replied Billabin, and his face went smooth, indicating that their conversation was complete. When Prince André reached the room they'd prepared for him and lay down in a clean shirt on a feather bed with its warmed and fragrant pillows, he felt that the battle of which he had brought tidings was a million years ago. The alliance with Prussia, Austria's treachery, Bonaparte's new triumph, tomorrow's levy and parade, and the audience with the Emperor, Francis, consumed his thoughts. He closed his eyes, and immediately heard in his mind the sweet, soothing sounds of cannons, of muskets firing, and the rattling of carriage wheels. He saw a thin line of musketeers descending the hill. The French were firing. His heart was thumping as he rode forth with Schmidt by his side, bullets whizzing past, and he felt the happiest he'd ever felt. Times ten. He woke up. Yes, that all happened," he said, and he grinned like a child. Then he closed his eyes and slept like a very happy baby. All right, there we go. There's that chapter for you. Yeah? Um, this was one of the ones where there's a line in this, and I was really proud of the translation work that I did on this one, for one particular little, uh, like paragraph. Um, where is it? And now I won't be able to find it. Oh yeah, the bit about um uh I'm just a lowly secretary of Russian Embassy, but even I don't feel the need to give my servant Franz a raise and a day off and take to take his sweetheart to the fair. Not that we have a fair here. That line, which just seems so plain and straightforward, um was so difficult to translate. In the Maud version, it was just insanely confusing and then I kind of deciphered it with the help of this community, the EU of War and Peace community and then I was using the PNV translation as my other reference to try to decipher it and it seems like, I think in this case, that one was like they'd just given up, like they couldn't decipher it and they just I think they just cut out like a big chunk of that sentence from memory. I'll have a look at it after this for the daily discussion. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like the P and V translation, they just kind of shrugged their shoulders and couldn't, couldn't decipher it, so they just trimmed out about half of that sentence. Uh, and then with your help, I did decipher it, and I was able to phrase it really plainly and simply and make sense of it, and I was very proud of that. So I'll do a little line comparison in the today's conversation as well, maybe as one of the comments. Anyway, check out the subreddit, have your say over there, and um, I'll see you tomorrow.